You can go ahead and take a seat. Good to see everybody today. My name's Paul. In case you didn't know, I'm one of the pastors. And uh, really glad that I wasn't leading today, because as I was worshiping with David over here, my voice was getting really weak. So uh, I was already thankful for David, but then I'm extra thankful this morning uh, for God giving us people that are able to do that. And, and he did such a great job with everybody else, as they always do. So thankful that they lead us into God's presence like that. Uh, it's a privilege to be in God's presence, right? Yes. yes. Yes, it is. It's a privilege to know him. It's a privilege to be part of his family. And so we're just so thankful for the opportunity God gives us to come together. Um, I will be honest, though. I had some flashbacks, some really negative flashbacks, when I heard the title of this series, From, To, Through, and For. I almost forgot it. That's a bad flashback already. <laughs> From, two, through, and four. The reason I had these flashbacks is those are all prepositions. And I don't know about you, but when I was in sixth grade and I was trying to figure out how to diagram sentences, prepositions were like, Ugh! I could not figure out what was a preposition and what wasn't. It was so cloudy for me. For some reason, it just didn't click. I was actually pretty good in school. And so to have this one little nagging thing that was really bringing down my grade, because we had this whole unit about diagramming sentences, prepositions over and over and over, caused a lot of red marks on my paper. It's nightmares, flashbacks. And so Derek tells me we're going to have a series called From, Two, Through, and Four, and I'm like immediately sweating and, and going back to that moment. But uh, what happened for me was to get through that fog, I tried a lot of different things. I was actively trying to figure out how to identify these prepositions. And finally, I had a breakthrough one day when someone told me, Paul, it's easy. It's anything a bird can do to a cloud. I'm like, that is stupid. <laughs> Seriously, that's not going to work. But then I got to thinking about it. A bird can go in a cloud, ends a preposition. A bird can go around a cloud, around a preposition. It can be under a cloud, above a cloud. It can go through a cloud. It can fly for a cloud. That one's a little weird. That doesn't work. But it can fly from a cloud. So all of a sudden, the light bulb came on because whatever a bird can do to a cloud helped me to figure out how to, to do prepositions and get through that unit without so much red stuff on my paper. Well, you know, I think sometimes when we're thinking about how God wants to use us, how God wants to fuel his mission, I think sometimes it can be a little cloudy, kind of like my feeling with prepositions. We know it's important. We know we want to get it. But we just can't seem to find the thing that's going to make it click for us. And we almost want to give up sometimes. But it's so important because God has placed us here for a purpose, for a reason. We can't just say, ah, that's too hard. I'll just let the red marks happen on my life. We've got to figure out what it's going to take to make that click because uh, we want to be part of his mission. So today, we're starting a four-week series. And yes, it's all prepositions, and I've gotten over it a little bit. But uh, we're starting this four-week series to answer the question, what is God's plan for fueling his mission? And here's a spoiler. It's you. Okay? So as we go through this, it's you. It's how you, uh, what he's given you in your life, what he's gifted you with, it's you. He wants to see you faithfully serve and live out who he's called you to be for his mission. So each week we're going to go through a different preposition, from, to, through, and for. And hopefully that will help it stick 
uh, maybe with my silly story about my sixth grade anxiety. But um, it's, it, it's a whole sentence goes around this. So everything comes from God. There's the from. Everything comes from God to his people, to his people, because he works through the church for the world. Okay, so that's where we're going to go over these next four weeks. Everything comes from God to his people because he works through his church for the world. And this week we're going to focus on that first truth that everything comes from God. Because if you don't get that, figuring out where you fit into his mission uh, just really doesn't work. We've got to have that foundation of realizing that everything comes from him. We've talked about that a lot in other series because it's so important. It's an aspect of our complete dependence on him, of understanding who we are in relation to him, to understand that it all begins and ends with God, that he is truly the alpha and the omega, the beginning and ending, the almighty creator of the universe, to understand that we have life, purpose, family, provision, talents, interest, list goes on and on, only through him. And so when we start there, when we start with that foundation, that understanding, we begin to see what a privilege it is to play a role in God's mission. What a privilege it is that his plan to fuel his mission is us. So over these next four weeks, I hope you'll hang in there with us. And uh, even though there are prepositions, you'll be here every Sunday. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of being part of your work. Thank you for just the journey of figuring out how you want us to plug in to what you're doing in the world, uh, in this area, in our church, God, just in your mission. And so make that clear to us as we start with that foundation today of understanding your provision. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, when I was in seminary a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, uh, I had to take several just individual books of the Bible as electives. And so they would say, you got to take at least this many New Testament books, this many Old Testament books to finish out you know, your degree plan. And so what that means is you take an entire semester to just study one book of the Bible from beginning to end. Well, I was kind of excited about the New Testament ones, but when it came time to fill out my Old Testament electives, I was kind of slow. I was kind of procrastinating, kind of pushed those off. And it got down to where I had like three or four semesters left, and I needed to take three of these Old Testament electives. And because I lived 60 miles away from school and worked in a church, I tried to have all my classes from 8 to noon. Um, and so I would commute into school, do the classes, come back out, and do the, the church stuff. So having a class at 3, even though it looked really appealing, was not going to work. So I was locked into this schedule, and I got to this point of figuring out what I needed to register for for one of these semesters, and I knew I had to take an Old Testament elective, and the only choice for this time slot was Chronicles. And I kind of went, Chronicles? Really? I should have done this sooner. I would have had a different choice. Chronicles. And it wasn't just one. We have First and Second Chronicles. It's actually one big book. We studied all of it all of it in one semester. And I don't know if you know much about Chronicles. I actually didn't. Um, but it ended up being one of my favorite classes of all time. And here's why. Because it brings together so much of the other things in the Bible and helps connect the dots. Um, the first Chronicles is all about the reign of King David. So he's kind of an important guy, 
right? He's, he's in a lot of different points in the Bible, all the way up to part of the lineage of Jesus when we get to the New Testament. And so David, all of 1 Chronicles, and then it continues on with other kings in 2 Chronicles. But it helped me put together, okay, these books fit into this part of the timeline. This is what's going on when this is happening. I ended up taking my other two Old Testament electives with that same professor because he just knew how to really bring it to life and connect the dots. Well, the reason I'm telling you all that is because today we're going to be in 1 Chronicles. And I didn't want you to go, Chronicles, like I did when I thought about that class. But we're going to look at a moment in David's reign as king. Um, One of the recurring themes in David's reign is that he wants to build a temple. He wants to build a place for God's Ark of the Covenant, God's presence to be housed to be placed, to know that that's where, uh, that's where it is and that it, it's, it's safe and it, we can go there to worship him and experience God. But God told him, you're not going to be the one to do it. Thank you, but no thanks. I'm going to let that be your son Solomon. And so David's role was to faithfully prepare, even though he had this big dream, even though he was really the spearhead of wanting to make this happen, he had to be faithful to prepare it for his son. And this temple is going to be built in such a way that it would honor God. It would be a representation of his great, greatness. Of course, it would be an inadequate one no matter what they did. But David gets everyone together toward the end of his reign, toward the end of his life. He talks about this dream, and he lets all the leadership know, everyone in this gathering, that it's not going to be him. It's going to be Solomon that gets to build the temple. But David makes the first offering. So imagine the humility that takes in front of all the leaders. He says, you know, this has been my dream. I've been talking about it. Uh, Here's what God's told us he he wants us to do when we build the temple, but it's not going to be me. It's going to be Solomon. And oh, by the way, I'm making the first offering of gold, silver, and bronze to decorate this temple. The people follow his example. They give freely to the work. And that's where we're going to pick up today. All that has just happened in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to start with verse 10. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you're exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. So here we go. They've just brought in all the stuff to give the offerings for the temple. Um, They're pretty excited. And David addresses the assembly, and he gives us four really good things to understand about God's provision that we want to catch hold of today to kind of set the table for the rest of our series. The first foundation of God's provision is we must understand who he is. We must understand who he is. It all starts with our understanding of God. You know, David's life was this epic up-and-down journey of following God. There's times of rejoicing and great victory. There's times of failure and utter disappointment. And in the end, God calls him a man after his own heart. Because David had walked closely with God, 
He had experienced God. He had gotten back up when he had failed God and walked with God again. David had seen God work. He'd seen God provide. He understood who God was and is. And he starts his prayer by blessing God. Now, if you think about it, that, kinda, that could seem a little odd. What can we do to bless God? It almost sounds backwards. We understand God blessing us. That makes sense. But what does it mean for us to bless God? We sing it in songs. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Um, blessed is his name. We sing it. We say it. But why would we bless God? It comes back to David's understanding of who God is. Because when God blesses us, we're helped, we're strengthened, we're made better in some way, but we understand that God is the source of all blessing. So for him to be the source of all blessing, he must be above all of creation in this perpetual blessed state, right? He's over all, above all. He is always blessed so that he can bless us. So to say, blessed are you, O Lord, is simply an exclamation of gratitude, of admiration. It's saying, I know, God, who you are. I know where you are. I know how much above me you are. And so we recognize his greatness, his strength. We express our gratitude and our delight in the privilege of seeing and experiencing it, of knowing him and experiencing him. So David says it a different way in Psalm 143, verses 1 through 3. He says, I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. All of that is just another way of saying, blessed are you, O Lord. It's an acknowledgement of who he is and all that he's done. So David understands that God is the source of all blessing. God is above all and is therefore always blessed. And he begins by acknowledging that nothing that happens can happen without God. So they've just had this amazing moment. And the very first thing David says is remember who God is. He understands how important that is. You know, fueling God's mission does not begin with resources. It begins with God. We get that backwards a lot of times. We think we got to gather up some stuff, right? But David realized, no, it begins with God. It begins with who he is. Fueling God's mission does not begin with resources. It begins with God. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but there are these Christian conferences that church leaders go to, and there's these professional church leader people that will give this information at these conferences, and very often they're, they're super good, and I always learn a lot from them. But what happens is there'll be these little catchphrases that kind of catch hold, and then you start to hear them among church leaders. You see them online. People share it on Facebook. Well, one of the ones a few years ago was that money follows vision. Well, if you're in a church plant and you're trying to figure out how to just make it work from week to week as you first get started, and that was what this conference was about, how do you, how do you resource this thing that God has called you to do that you feel God's called you to do go plant a church they said you got to remember money follows vision and they said it over and over and it kind of caught hold in my life I was thinking yeah I've seen that to be true whenever someone stood up with a really great vision it seems like God's people responded and followed through with um, giving toward that in different ways money's one of those ways but I realized as I was preparing today that that's not correct money doesn't follow vision because vision comes from God. It begins with him. Um, vision comes from God, and then he blesses the fulfillment of his vision. 
And so he calls us to be faithful, but it all comes from him. And so it's not about tricking uh, resources into coming in. It's about finding what God is up to, what God wants, where God is working, and being sure we're faithful to who he's called us to be. That's the important thing to do. So that's the first foundation. Understand who God is. Now this is going to kind of expand as we go. The second one is we must understand what he has because of who he is. Understand what he has because of who he is. Look again at verse 11 in 1 Chronicles 29. David says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So David doesn't leave any doubt that everything belongs to God. Everything that's in the heavens, everything that's in the earth. He says it another way in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. The apostle Paul sounds like he might be quoting David in 1 Corinthians 10, 26. He says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Because of who God is, he has everything, right? Understanding what he has because of who he is, he has everything. Everything belongs to the Lord. So when we're thinking about provision, when we're thinking about how God wants to fuel his mission, we, might, we not only must realize that it all comes from him, but it is actually all his to begin with. And this is where we start to get a biblical understanding of stewardship, of what it means to be a manager of something that is someone else's when we're managing God's resources. If he owns everything, then anything we have is only because he allows us to manage or steward what he has given to us. So we must understand who God is and we must understand what he has because of who he is. But thirdly, we need to understand what God has done with what he has because of who he is. So like I said, it's expanding out a little bit as we go. And David leads right into that in verse 12 of our passage in Chronicles. He says, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So God owns everything, but he makes this choice to involve us. He makes this choice to include us. He makes a choice to distribute some of what he has to his people. And he entrusts us with part of it. He entrusts us with part of what he has because everything we have comes from God. Everything. You know, it's, it's pretty easy for me to think about the truth that everything belongs to God, the earth and all that is in it, in the abstract, in the big picture. It makes sense to me because after all, he's God. He's the creator. He's over all. He's above all. My problem is I think I've earned some things. And so, yeah, God, you own everything, but this little piece over here, that's what I've earned. That's what I control. That's, that's not what you've given me. That's what I've gotten for myself. Um, and that's a mistake because everything belongs to God. Everything I have is from God. Uh, he's entrusting it to me. Even my very life, my breath, my abilities, my gifts are from him. And in return, his uh, desire is that we use what he's given us to fulfill his mission, to bring honor and glory to him uh, with what he's entrusted to us. Nothing about our lives is exempt. And so when we think, oh, yeah, this is a thing I've earned over here, we've got it backwards. What we need to think about is this is something God's allowed me to gather, to get. What can I do to use that to bring honor 
and glory to him. Or this is a talent I have. What can I do to use that to bring honor and glory to him? I'm really good at fixing cars. I'm not. Uh, last night, I opened up Josh's door to put in a new door lock actuator. supposed to take 30 minutes. Some estimates were even 10. I thought, well, surely I can handle that, right? We had to be somewhere in an hour. An hour and a half, I was still doing it. I have red marks on my arm from jamming it in the door so many times. Yeah, that wasn't the greatest moment of my life. Not one of my skills. Uh, so I'm not going to try to bring glory to God when I'm fixing a car. But there are things that I'm good at. And God has put those things in me as ways that he can use me to bring honor and glory to him. And even in our rough moments, we can bring honor and glory to God. But Deuteronomy 8 gives us a picture of how easy it is to forget God. Because if you know your Old Testament history, God has led the people out of slavery in Egypt. He's miraculously provided for them over and over in the wilderness. And still he gives them this warning in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's kind of long, but I just want you to listen uh, to what God says to his people. Take care that you don't forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. That when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your hearts and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware that you don't say to yourselves, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. So this isn't a new thing. This is a human condition. We want to feel like we've earned it. And God says, don't forget, it's all about me. It's all about what I've done in you and in your life. So how easy is it to say to ourselves, my power and my abilities have gotten me what I have. We need to be ready to be part of fueling God's mission. And part of being ready has to include that everything belongs to God and that everything we have comes from God. Any resource I consider to be mine really belongs to him. Any achievement in my life is only possible because of him. My time, my talents, my treasure are at his disposal. The question we should ask is, Lord, what do you want me to do with what you've entrusted to me? Because the fourth thing we need to understand about God's provision is that we must rightly respond to what he has done with what he has because of who he is. <clears throat> we must rightly respond to what he excuse me, sorry, rightly respond to what he has done with what he has because of who he is. And once again, David models this in verses 13 and 14. He says, and now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own have we given you? He's just saying, hey, God, it was yours anyway. We're just giving it back so that you can accomplish this thing that you've told us you want to accomplish. That's what a right response looks like. It's thanks and praise. A right response to what God has done with what he has uh, because of who he is, is thanks and praise. When we truly understand, it's really the only possible response when our heart is right. Thanks and praise. Now, I know this doesn't ever happen at your house, but every now and then, 
we have kids that have disagreements. <laughs> Sorry, I just burst that bubble for you. Our kids have disagreements. Sometimes they even get physical. And we have to break that up, right? We're not going to let that keep going. And so what do you do? You separate them. And sometimes it's really hard because they're really going at it. And sometimes they're so fired up you can hardly talk to them. They don't. But Luke especially is one he's like, don't talk to me. And he just like closes off. And so you're trying to get through. You're trying to hear their side of the story. You're trying to hear the other side of the story. You're trying to mediate to figure out what's going on between these two uh, people that you love. And you know they love each other, but they're just at each other's throats. Well, it comes to that moment where you finally get everyone to calm down. And what do you need them to do? You got to put some kind of closure on this, right? You need there to be a moment of forgiveness, a moment of apology, a moment of acceptance of their role in this altercation. And so <clears throat> you get them to that point, and sometimes they just want it to be over. So have you ever had one of these? I'm sorry. I forgive you. Yeah, I believe that, right? <laughs> just, it does not match up. Uh, I've never done that myself. But um, <laughs> so you get to that point, and they're talking to each other in a way that's obvious you, you're not getting through. They're not understanding what you're trying to accomplish in their lives in this moment to bring about the forgiveness and the apology. We, I think sometimes that's how we are with God. The way we live our life doesn't match up with who he is and what he's done with what he has because he's given us so much. I'm not talking about material things. If all he ever did was make a way for us to be right with him through his son, our lives should be thanks and praise. But he's done so much more than that. He gives us so much more than that, and he allows us to be part of fueling his mission in the world. And so we don't want to be people that receive all of that from him and then say, thanks. Right? How many Christians do you know that walk around with a life that says thanks? That doesn't say very much about who God is and what he's done with what he has. And so we want to be people of thanks and praise, just like David was, a follower of Jesus that truly understands the miracle of forgiveness, mercy, and grace that God has offered to us, sinful, broken people, by sacrificing his son on the cross that doesn't have a life characterized by thankfulness and praise. It just doesn't match up. That's the right attitude. That's the right heart response when we understand. So you have to ask yourself this morning, how is your heart? How is your attitude? How is your thanks and your praise? Or have you forgotten that everything we have is a gift from God? You know, there's a direct link between our attitude about provision, about God being the source and how we handle what he's given us, how we handle what he's placed in our lives. You know your heart is in the right place when you're holding what he's given you in your hands in the right way. A lot of times I hold it like this, right? This is mine. This is what I've earned. Nobody look at it. I'm kind of like that naturally. I hate to tell you. I'm a little bit like my dad said I was a really weird kid that if, if anyone came over and I didn't think they were playing with my toy, right? I would just take it away and put it in the closet because I didn't want them to mess up my toy, right? You got you to gotta know how to play. That's not how you play with that toy. You're going to break the little lightsaber, right? You can't do that. You got to play with things the right way. Well, I kind of do that with things in my life still. 
I want to be in control. I want to hold on to it. I want to use, I want it used the way I think it should be used. And that's not the right attitude. God, when he gives it to us, we hold it in our hands loosely and we offer it back to him with openness. So when your heart, when your hands are like this, you know your heart is right because you are open to how God wants to use whatever he has given you. The first thing God does in fueling his mission is to entrust us with some of what he has. And he invites us to be part of his kingdom work and enjoy his provision. He wants us to enjoy it, to be thankful, to give him praise. Everything we have comes from God. When I think about provision, I can't help but think about my own life and some crazy things that God has asked us to do, like move into Carson City. That's a crazy thing, or it was for us. We love Carson City. I'm not saying that. It was our situation in life. We're at a, a pretty big church in Alabama. The furthest north I've been to live is Dallas-Fort Worth. So I've lived everywhere from I-20 south and east to Alabama, west to Arizona. So that was my area. And so thinking about going to Nevada, which is a whole nother full day's drive from any family. Uh, they live in Texas and Iowa, so that's a long way. To think about needing to put a house on the market in a really small town, that was kind of scary, the town we lived in. To think about, I'm going to go there, and part of how I'm going to pay my bills is crawling around under a house with Derek, with like oxygen stuff on and lights on our head and getting glued behind pipes and trapped in closets. And we did radon mitigation. Hard, hard work. I don't know if you know anything about it. I didn't. He gave me a book to read before I got here, and I was like, okay. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's what we're doing, right? Uh, but this overwhelming sense that God, this was God's mission. This was God's work. This was how he was going to fuel what he wanted to do in my life, in my family's life, and in a new little church called Common Ground. And so here we are, put our house on the market, sold in two hours. Two hours! I was like, what in the world? Surely something's going to go wrong with this, right? That was too good. Uh, we get out, I drive a U-Haul with a truck out here, um, and then I pretty much have to unload and turn around and go back because everything's closing up so quickly in Alabama, and I load everything up in another U-Haul and bring the whole crew out here. Uh, God provided a place for us to live. He provided a way for all of our bills to be paid. He provided a house here in Carson City. I don't know if you realize it's expensive to get a house here. Anybody been trying to do that? Uh, it's expensive. And so God provided a house for us at a price that, that worked in our budget that we could not afford now if we were having to buy a house. But God made the timing perfect, and he gave us the deal that we needed so that we could be here to fuel God's mission in whatever way he wants to do through us. So when I think about provision, I can't help but think about my own life, but bigger than that, common ground as a church and how God made it possible for this calling in Derek and Callie to become something that we all get to enjoy today as we enjoy God through this fellowship and through this body. And as we think about what God wants to do next, realize you're a part of that. You're a part of that mission. God wants to fuel his mission through you. And the very first part of understanding how that needs to work is understanding 
that it all comes from him. Everything comes from God. So if you want to see God move his mission forward in a mighty way, we got to start with a right response to his provision, holding our hands in a way that says, God, it's all yours. And I'm talking about our life. I'm not talking about our bank accounts and our our possessions. I'm talking about us, everything about us. It's all yours. God, how do you want to use me in your kingdom and in your mission work? So there's a couple of things that you might be, I mean, God can speak to you however he wants, but there's a couple of specific things that I thought God may be saying to you this morning. One of which is maybe you're like me and people don't use your stuff the way you think they should. And so you hold on to it tightly, right? Even God, sometimes I'm like, God, you're not going to use it the way I think you should. I'm going to hold on to it (laughs) tightly. Maybe that's you, and you need to confess, and you need to repent. You've forgotten that God is the source, and you need to commit to a life of living of thanks and praise, of that same response that David had when they had such a special moment leading up to the building of the temple. Or maybe you've realized today that you've never acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never uh, stepped into God's ultimate provision which is for your forgiveness and your salvation. And you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, to know what it means to be right with God and to connect with him in the way that he created you to be connected to him. That only can happen through Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so we want to help you with that. We have wonderful people that stand in the back every week that would love to pray with you. You can write it on your Connect card and put it in the response box if you're not ready to talk to someone today and we'll get a hold of you during the week. You can write your name as a prayer request over here and say, someone help me know what it means to follow Jesus. That's why we're here. Our goal is that you experience God in a way that you can only do as you come to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. And so please, if that's on your heart today, let us help you with that. And again, I hope you'll hang in for these next three weeks, even though they're prepositions. Because it's so important for us to know the from, the to, the through, and the for as we think about what God wants to do in and through us as individuals and in and through us as a church. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for just the truth that all things come from you. And the truth that you are faithful. As, we've, as we sang those songs before the sermon, that you've never... Uh, dropped the ball. You're faithful. And God, we need to trust you with everything that we are, that you're good, that we're blessed, and we're forgiven, and we're empowered to be part of your mission work, to be part of what you want to accomplish in our church, in our community, in our state, our country, our world. God, you've empowered us. We've got people overseas right now telling people about you. And God, we're just so thankful that you put this calling of common ground on the hearts of of people here in this community and that you've continued to provide because we know that your work done your way never lacks your provision. And so God, as we continue to move forward, as we continue to seek you, I just pray, God, you'd make clear to us as a church what you want next as individuals, what you want next, and that we would have those open hands that we talked about, ready to give to you whatever you call out in us to give. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name.